Many people have a desire for Jesus to address earthly situations for those who are brought to him for a blessing. While the reception of an earthly blessing may have some benefit for those that receive it, the true intention of Jesus is to remove their sins and give them eternal life. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning into today's sermon, Jesus' Blessing versus Our Desire for Others, taken from Matthew 9, 1-8, where we look at Jesus' healing of the paralytic and Christ's intention to forgive of sin before the physical blessing was offered. This shows us which miracle is more important to God and helps us to realign our aim for others when we bring them to Christ. People bring others to Jesus for a variety of reasons. But Jesus' intent when those people are brought to him is to remove them of their sin so that they can stand before God sinless and receive an eternal salvation. Not everybody understands that. So sometimes what God does is he demonstrates outwardly what he has done inwardly to people. So he blesses them in their lives and so that their condition before Christ is not the same as their condition after they've encountered him. Now, depending on how you stand with that, it can cause you to praise God or it could cause you to feel some kind of way about that. But if we understand what Jesus is really trying to do for people, our intent on bringing people to Christ is for the removal of sin and the salvation of their eternal soul. We get a story like this in Matthew chapter 9. And we see that it is the faith of those who brought this paralytic to Christ that causes Christ to forgive his sins. Now, we don't know what their intent was on bringing their friend to Jesus. But what Jesus does is he removes the sin initially. Which is telling to us is that what Jesus sees as important is not always maybe what people do. Because we recognize that as we come to Matthew chapter 9, that what God has allowed Jesus to do is establish his ministry. He's taught what it really means to live this kingdom life on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's gone and he's healed people based upon their faith and based upon his desire to heal them. And we touched on some of that in these previous weeks. And now we have come to a part in scripture to where these people have brought a man to Christ. And one would presume that they brought him there for a physical healing. But it doesn't say. And this is where we pick up Matthew chapter 9. 
And Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Now, just think about that. This short passage, we see a variety of perspectives about the one thing that Christ came to do, which is to free man of their sins. Now, the story starts off where Jesus is in a context and will presume teaching in other passages of scripture, it's presumed that this is the same to where the man opened up the, uh, the roof and they lowered their friend down on the uh, mat. But right here it just says that some man brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. What type of faith does it take to bring somebody to Christ? You see, these are some people who knew that this Jesus that they were bringing this man to could do something. It doesn't say what they wanted him to do, what they understood him to do, but they brought him on a mat to Jesus for some purpose. And it could be easily presumed by reading just the narrative of the gospel and, and the flow that has been going that they wanted this man healed from his physical condition. And that brings us understand we all bring people to Jesus for various reasons people come and ask you pray for me because I'm sick because I'm going through this because I need help and we bring them to Jesus we pray for them we read scripture with them we talk to them about Christ, about a variety of things that may or may not be about their soul salvation, but we bring them to Jesus because we believe that Christ is the answer for the condition that they are in. And this condition is safe to assume that they were speaking of the paralyzed state of the man. Because you think they brought him to Jesus. Where else did they bring him to? I'm not sure if you've ever had to carry somebody around, but that might get tiring. That might become burdensome to you. I constantly have to bring this person here and there. And when I want to go and I have to carry them, I have to bear them on my shoulders or I bury them on this mat with these other people. And sometimes I just want to get up and walk without having to worry about him. So I'm going to try to find an answer for this person's problem because their problem is my problem. 
And I got faith that Jesus can answer, can fix their problem. So they bring them to Jesus. And what's interesting is that the person who's paralyzed, he is rewarded because of the faith of those who carried him. Let's think about that. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. No mention to the people who carried him, but to the one who was on the mat, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was carrying somebody to Jesus, I might say, hey, uh, that's good and all, Christ, but I didn't bring him for his sins. I brought him because he's a burden to me. I brought him because... They have this problem that's impeding on my life. And we all understand that to some extent. Because people who have burdens in the world that are interacting with us, they share those burdens with us. I'm going through it and I need a shoulder to cry upon. And so we have to listen to the stories they tell. I've been in this rough position and now I'm low on some type of material possessions in this world. I need some food. I need some money. I need a place to stay. And we have to bear those burdens to some extent because of what they're going through. And while we do want God to do something on the spiritual side, a part of us wants the physical, the worldly matters to be addressed because that's what steps upon our toes. Because we do want them saved. But we also don't want to have to bear some of those burdens that they've been bringing to us. Why? Because it's burdensome to us. And it wears us down. And it makes us weak at times. And at times we want to jump on the mat and somebody carry us everywhere we need to go because we don't want to walk but we're not paralyzed. And so we have brought the person to Christ to address the physical needs, which I think these people were doing, and Jesus addresses the spiritual. And that gives us an insight to what is more important. And sometimes we overlook that fact because we're thinking of the situation from a worldly perspective. But what had it looked like if Jesus would have said, your sins are forgiven, and they would have took him on that mat and walked away. He would have been in a better position. His friends would have still had to bury his burden. But he would have been in a better position because he would have been forgiven of his sins. And we must keep that in mind. That a person can be forgiven of their sins and still stay in the same position earthly and be headed to heaven. And the burdens that they have still must be carried to some extent by the ones that love him. Why am I mentioning this? Well, we have in our hearts and our minds as a congregation to bring people to Christ. We do not know what condition that they will be in from a worldly perspective. We will want those earthly positions to be met. Why? 
Because I'm going to be honest. We don't always want to bear each and every person's burdens. Because it gets burdensome for us. So if we had everybody that we went out and tried to evangelize come to the church and said, I'm going through this situation in life and I need help. While we would be willing to do it, it would get burdensome. I've had bad relationships with my kids. I've had bad relationships with my spouse. I have bad relationship with bill collectors. I've had bad relationship with my landlord. I can't hold a job. I need help. And while we would be willing to do such, eventually, it might become too much to bear. And while we know that the most important thing is their soul salvation, we will want God to answer those worldly situations because we wouldn't want to bear the burden of that all the time. That's human. But what we must keep in mind is the most important thing is the sins. And so we must not never forget that what Jesus is really trying to do is rid people of their sins. And he could do that and still leave us with the burdens to bear and we'll be okay. We must accept that. Because we have relationships with people in lives that we want them to do better and we talk to them about Christ and, and we just, just some how wish that they would get that they need to stop going about things their way and accept the way of the Lord so that they can be saved. But they don't. And so they ask us to pray for them for money, better job, for health, for relationships. And we do. And we sometimes overlook the fact that their soul needs to be saved. And so we must look at each person's situations like Jesus. What he's really intended on is the removal of sin so that a person can stand before God sinless because of the sacrifice that Christ made no matter what condition they die in from a worldly perspective. But that takes a mind flip. And that takes seeing things as Jesus sees it. And that also takes faith because we have to have faith to bring people to Christ no matter what condition that they are in so that they can receive the forgiveness of sins before anything else. Because if we're not doing that, then we're going to focus on the minor and overlook the major. Because what would it look like if we brought people to Jesus and he gave them every blessing that they asked for, but they did not submit their souls to him? Because we have seen people who have come to church and God has started to work in their lives and they started to receive blessings, but yet they didn't get baptized. And once those blessings started to flow, they left 
what God was trying to bring them to. Maybe some people's life was in disarray and they started going to church and they got a job and they started doing better. And as soon as this job started going good, they said, I can't make it because I got to work on Sundays. Forgetting the fact that just a month ago you had no job. And you was asking people at church to pray that your financial situation changes. And when it does, you forget the God who blessed you. Maybe it's somebody who comes to church and they was asking that God works in their relationship and brings them a spouse, brings them a better, deeper understanding with their kids. And it happens. And as soon as that happens, then they stop coming to church because they've reached the level worldly to where they wanted to be. It does no good because they didn't attend to the spiritual nature. And if we overlook that, then we're doing a disservice. But then we're also have to take in mind that our faith can go a long way in helping somebody reach the salvation that God wants. Because why did Jesus forgive the guy's sins? Listen to what it says in verse number two. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, saw the faith of them. Then he spoke to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith got his sins forgiven. Our faith can be instrumental in getting somebody forgiven of their sins. So we must be mindful of that and be willing to collectively bring people to Jesus because it's going to take a group effort. When we meet somebody, when somebody comes to this congregation, it's going to take a group effort to help them grow. And because of the faith that we demonstrate might have the impact that's necessary for them to receive the salvation that God wants. Because we already know that one person can bring about destruction in a group. If we have one person who is feeding negativity into our congregation as people come in and we're trying to teach them salvation, what's going to happen? It's going to mess up and impede on the efforts to save whoever it is that God brings into our midst. And so we all must participate in the necessary faith development of the whole so that no matter who comes, we can help them to be saved. Because we don't know what situation they're going to come in. We don't know what their paralyzed state will be. It could be somebody whom we would not associate with outside of church. It could be somebody that we don't like personally, but God is choosing to bring in here to save. It could be somebody that if it was up to us, we wouldn't associate with them. It could be somebody that we all like and we all love, but whoever it is, we must be on the same page 
because we see that what Jesus did was he removed the sins of that man on the mat because of the faith of his friends. We are the persons carrying the mat. Because there's two other groups that's presented in this passage. There are the teachers of the law. And there is the group of the crowds. You see, the teachers of the law in their hearts, in their hearts, they don't verbalize it, but in their hearts. And what's interesting is it's not just one, it's a plural. The teachers, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. So what's that saying? These people had a shared mindset that they didn't even have to communicate with each other in the moment, but they all believed it, that Jesus was blaspheming because he told the man, your sins are forgiven. And in their hearts, they spoke this because they all had the same understanding, because they were all on the same accord, that they didn't even have to verbalize what they were thinking to one another to be on the same page. And that shows the power of a communal spirit. You have this group who has the, the faith to bring the man, and you have this other group who has the heart to condemn the Christ who saves the man. And we don't want to be in this group that condemns the Christ who saves the people because that's what he came to do. And it doesn't always mean that this is something that they had conspired and talked about in the moment. It just, but it just shows that they had a shared understanding that was condemning of the work of God. And they spoke this in their hearts. And what did Jesus do? He read their hearts. Which is um, uncomfortable. Why do I say that? Because when we think about our hearts and how that only God can read our hearts and we know what's going on in our hearts, we know that we lay bare before Christ. And we know that no matter how well we hide it from others, God really knows what it is that we're thinking. And we cannot lie to him. And so no matter what we are feeling on the inside, God exposes to us and he knows it. And so we don't want to put ourselves in a position to condemn the work that God is doing because then we make ourselves enemies of Christ. We want to align ourselves with those who are faithful enough to bring whoever it is to Christ because we know that he can do something and maybe not exactly what we expected, but he can do something to bring about a godly result in this person's life. And we want to be acceptant of that because our faith really can be transformative in other people's lives. But we don't want to look at people, no matter who they are, and we see God working in their lives and in our hearts condemn God for what he's doing in them. Because then that puts us on the opposite side of salvation. Then we have just become a judge of the judge. And that puts us in a very dangerous position to lose out 
on this salvation that's freely given because we don't agree with what God is doing through Jesus Christ. And it's easy to get in that judgment seat. It's easy to be in a position to where you have made yourself the interpreter of the word of God and you can determine on your own understanding what's right and what's wrong apart from God and be totally wrong. And in your heart, you have condemned somebody that God has saved. You have rendered judgment on somebody that God is going to give grace and mercy to just because you do not agree with the decision of Christ. We've seen it in the church too many times. Somebody comes and they're looking for salvation and they might have been brought by somebody. But there's others who are in the church who doesn't like that person. It could be because of the color of their skin. It could be because of their socioeconomic uh, status. It could be because of where they're from. It could be because the way they talk. It could be the way they dress. But something causes a group not to like somebody that's in church And they judge them not worthy of salvation. And they've just condemned themselves. And we don't want to be in that situation. So in order not to be like the teachers of the law. We must be like the disciples of Christ. Learn his way. Learn his will. Be receptive to his teachings and not try to force our own standards on people. Because God's intent is to save the world. Jesus died for the sin of the world. And sometimes the people that he's saving might not be the ones whom we would choose. But when we learn to look at things as Christ does, it doesn't matter to us. Because an enemy can become a brother. Someone you despise can become a friend. And that's all done through the work of Christ. And somebody who was on their way to eternal damnation can receive forgiveness and be headed to glory. Just think of Paul and his conversion to Christianity. He was one of scripture's biggest opponents to the church. He was out to actually persecute Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could face punishment for their acceptance of the gospel. And Christians knew this. But what happened? He was converted on the road to Damascus. But that wasn't enough. Barnabas had to relieve the stress of those Christians who had heard about Paul's reputation and had to let them know that this guy was on the level that he's really a Christian. He's not trying to beguile you and persecute you anymore. He's actually promoting this same message that we promote. And eventually, 
he was accepted in the church. But at first, he was a persecutor of Christians. You see, Christians would not have chosen Saul for salvation. No. This was the very one who held the clothes that those who stoned Stephen wore. But even Stephen, in his understanding, had the grace and mercy that Christ causes us all to have. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he knew that salvation was offered even to people whom he might not have seen eye to eye with in that moment. But God could work through their lives to bring them to a point of unity at some point in history. He was not like the teachers of the law who was condemning of God's choice for those of salvation. Because God can work through a lot of people who open their heart to him in ways in which we do not understand, do not see. So we must not get in the way of that. We must participate, not block the work of the kingdom of God. So we want to be people who have the faith to bring, not those who have the judgment to condemn what God is doing through anybody's lives. And sometimes what God has done for a person spiritually is manifested through the blessings that they receive through this world. And that's interesting because a lot of times what we really are seeking is some type of tangible change in a person that shows that God's working with them. Whereas God is saying that what I really am trying to do is remove these sins from you, which you might not always see because that's a spiritual cleansing that I have done. But what he said is to show these teachers of the law that I really have the power to remove these sins, I'm going to manifest my blessings not only spiritually, but physically. And so he tells a man to get up, take your mat, and go home. I think that's the very thing that those who was carrying him on the mat were wanting. But the only reason why Jesus did it in that circumstance was to show the teachers of the law that he has authority to forgive sins. And while we might see the hardest thing in the, the healing of the body and the, the removal of the paralyzation to grab the mat, I think the hardest thing really is the cleansing of the spiritual, the sin removal. Why? Because that took the blood of Christ. But in that moment, it was get up and take your mat. When we have seen God manifest itself in people's lives to where they are blessed and they're no longer in the state that they were in before they came to Christ, I say we work with them. I say we help them grow to where they can recognize that their spiritual blessings are being manifested 
in the material in this present world so that they can recognize that God has really done something for them spiritually. Because not everybody gets that. Because sometimes a person gets blessed and they think, oh, that's just for me to have more money, to have better relationships, and not as an opportunity to be appreciative of what God has done for me so that I can work on myself spiritually. But that's the point. The spiritual cleansing to be the people of God who demonstrated to the faithless what it really means to walk with God. Because what does a God do when he picks up his mat? He brings glory and honor to God. That's the very things we should be doing with our lives. And sometimes we have been walking this way as a Christian so long that we overlook that. Sometimes we forget what the point of our blessings truly are because they're in the material world and it draws us closer and closer to worldly things. And we forget it's to show the spiritual blessing that God has given us, the cleansing of the sins, the removal of that stain that separates us from God so that we will inherit a heavenly home. And we're supposed to manifest that to bring glory and honor to God in all aspects of our lives. And so we carry our mats and we're not carried on them. And I think that as he went home, his four friends went home with him. And they were all appreciative of what God had done. The crowds were in awe. And the only people who were sitting there who had missed the whole point was those who had hearts of stone who came there judgmental, thinking that they were the proper interpreter of the law as opposed to understanding what Jesus was doing in the removing of the sin in this person that was paralyzed. You see, when we work together and we lead somebody to salvation and God heals them, what it really will do is bring glory and honor to God. And that can't help but to build up the community of the kingdom of God. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be people that have faith to draw people to God so that they would embody that faith and live this life as God has called us all to live. And as we do that, we praise God for what he's doing in others and what he's doing in us. Because when we really think about it, we were all on that mat at one point in our life. We were all in need of somebody to bring us to Jesus for us to be saved. And so we don't ever want to get so high and mighty that we forget that we was ever on that mat. We want to remember that we was on that mat so that we can help somebody else on theirs. Scripture doesn't say, but just think how meaningful it would have been 
if that guy took his mat and saw somebody else who couldn't move and he said, get on, I'm going to help you, I'm going to take you to Jesus and told one of his friends that helped him, you could go on and get you some rest. I got it from here. And they kept doing this. And then eventually that mat was carried by people who all were on that mat at one point, who all had a story to tell of how Jesus really helped them get off that mat. But what he really did was remove their sins so that they can make heaven their home. That's us. That's us. People who were on the mat at one point who are now willing to carry somebody else on it, recognizing that the real blessing is not the fact that I could carry this mat, but the fact that Jesus removed these sins from me so that now heaven is my home. And that's where the true praise comes in. Living that truth out and being vessels that are willing to bring others to Christ with faith that he will heal them. I'm not sure where that leaves you. What I was wanting us to consider today is our role in participating as a collective in bringing people to Jesus for the sole purpose, not of the physical, earthly blessings, but of the spiritual blessings that eternally will have impact on their soul salvation. Recognize that sometimes we might bring people to Jesus and they stay in the same state that they came in physically, but spiritually they're altered. We might bring people to Jesus that we might not have considered at first, but Jesus really can do something for them. But having the mindset to be willing as a whole to participate faithfully in bringing people to Jesus. I pray that these thoughts go with you. I also pray that we consider people that we come into contact with that we might be able to share this message with. Maybe somebody that we never even thought about. Just be receptive to who God wants us to at least shine the light on. Because we can't change people's opinions. We can't make nobody think no way. But what we can do is model Christianity and put, put a word, a message of Christ out there and let God do his work. Let's think of ways that we could do that collectively, individually. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church 
Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.